This morning we're going to be finishing up our look at the book of Philemon. All right, so again, it's on page 940 in the Pew Bibles. It's right before Hebrews. Okay, and if, so if you remember from last week, um, the, basically I'm saying the main point of Philemon is focused on how the gospel brings us together to love God and one another. All right, so last week specifically we looked at um, how the gospel compels us, bringing us together to love God and one another. And so, we, so last week, kind of a re- quick recap, last week we focused on three subpoints. First, we talked about how we're in this together, right? We talked about the importance of the church community uh, for accountability and encouragement in our walk with Christ. And second, we talked about how all things are for Christ, right? We talked about how every good thing is in us for the sake of Christ and how he must be first in our lives. And third, last week, we talked about how the, gospel, the love of Christ compels us to love one another, basically how our motivation should be the gospel. So this week, we're going to look at our last three points, seeing how the gospel brings us together. All right, and so uh, you can thank Gina if, if you'd like to take notes. She suggested, Jesse and I, at the last minute, put these. Here's the three points if you want to write them down, all right? So we're going to talk at how the gospel will reconcile us how the gospel will help us forgive one another, and how the gospel will bring us together as fellow workers. All right, so the gospel will reconcile us. The gospel will help us forgive one another, and the gospel will bring us together as fellow workers. So those are our three points for this morning. All right, so Philemon's short. I'm going to just reread the whole letter again, just to remind us of the big picture. And then this morning, we're going to look specifically at verses uh, 15 through 25. So uh, start in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love And of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that this sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is while he was parted from you for a while— that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning as we look at your word preserved for us in this letter to Philemon, that uh, your word would be at work in our lives, Lord, transforming us. May you speak through me. May I speak your word clearly, Lord, declaring your goodness and grace. And Lord, may your word not return empty, Lord, but may it accomplish that which you desire and succeed for the purpose for which you sent it. Amen. All right, so we're going to start this morning with our first point, okay, that the gospel will reconcile us. All right, so looking at verse 15 and 16. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Right? So we know that Philemon and Nisimus have been apart. They've been separated. Apparently, Onesimus had run away from his master, Philemon, and found his way to Paul, and they have a broken relationship. Right? Onesimus may have caused some wrong to Philemon, perhaps stealing something or, or simply running away. And perhaps Philemon had done something wrong to Onesimus to cause him to run away. Right? But here, Paul gives the bigger reason behind their separation. Right? Look again at verse 15. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you. Right? God is using something broken to build something better. Regardless of the human causes, a sovereign God is ultimately in control, and he is sanctifying these two Christian men through whatever conflict they have. Right? Consider last week how we discussed Paul's praying for Philemon in verse 6, how Paul prayed for Philemon's sanctification. Right? And that's exactly what God is doing in the lives of these men. He's using suffering and hardships— broken relationships in the midst of a broken world to sanctify these men and reconcile their relationship, right? It's only a good and loving God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, right? The good news that we call the gospel. It's only God that can reconcile his people's brokenness with each other too, right? And as we are reconciled to each other in Christian fellowship as brothers and sisters, right? As a beloved brother, we gain something much richer and deeper and lasting than our fleshly relationships. Our relationship with each other in Christ is so much more important than our earthly relationships, right? It's why each of us here today, regardless of our various backgrounds and life experiences or interests or age, we can all gather together as a church family, right? Regardless of our political affiliation or our military rank or our views on nutrition or eschatology, right? We can all gather as a church family, It's what Paul writes about in Colossians 3, right? Paul wrote Colossians to the saints in Colossae, which we talked about last week, includes Philemon and Onesimus. Paul writes in Colossians 3, he says, There's neither Greek or Jew, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. I don't think Paul there is saying that these categories of Greek and Jew, slave and free, he's not saying they don't exist, but Paul's saying that being in Christ is the new and the better thing, the more important thing. And so Paul wants this earthly, in-the-flesh reconciliation, but more than that, he wants reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus 
as brothers in the Lord. Right now, I'm going to pause here for a moment to reflect on the nature of Roman slavery because it's the starting point of Philemon and Onesimus' earthly relationship. And I know some of you are probably wondering. All right, so as one commentator writes, it is difficult to find a hard and fast universal definition of slavery in the first century, except to say that slaves were considered property of the master and that at some point in their life they would be emancipated, except for those put into slavery due to criminality or as prisoners of war. Around the environs of Rome, slaves were typically emancipated at a young age, around 30 years old. In other parts of the Roman Empire, slaves were emancipated at various ages. In fact, the freeing of slaves occurred so often in the Mediterranean world of the first century that they were entirely normal events of urban daily life and were expected by both owners and slaves. But a few points on on Roman slavery, okay? While this sort of slavery, more like indentured servitude, likely fits in this Onesimus's situation, it does not mean that there weren't others with much worse experiences in ancient Rome. For example, slaves that were made into gladiators or forced into other unwanted and demeaning types of labor. And second, while slavery may have been common in the Roman Empire, and slaves were often freed and not made to serve for life, Paul still is in no way endorsing slavery here, okay? So, in fact, as one commentator points out, Right? Paul in his writings acknowledges the God-ordained institutions of marriage, of parenthood, of civil authority. Right? But Paul never acknowledges that God has ordained the owning of other human beings who are made in the image of God. And Paul does provide some guidance for the slave-master relationship. Right? So in Colossians, also written, right, Philemon and Isthmus, he calls bond servants to serve with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And masters are called to treat their bondservants justly and fairly in light of the fact that they have a heavenly master, right? So Paul's providing this guidance, but it seems that he's merely regulating an existing condition, not endorsing the institution of slavery. We can also look to 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says in verse 21, Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. And he goes on to say in verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So in light of what this relationship may have looked like between Onesimus and Philemon at the start, let's look at what Paul is saying to Philemon now. And Paul acknowledges the current bondservant relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, but he points Philemon to the sanctifying work of the Lord, right? Verse 15, for this perhaps is why. Paul points Philemon to the Lord who is using the separation both physically and relationally to bring about a reconciliation that will result in a much better relationship, a deeper and richer relationship as brothers in Christ. To reconcile men who had a broken and temporary relationship where Onesimus would likely have been freed at some point in the future and left Philemon for good to a permanent and lasting relationship as brothers in Christ. Paul Paul points them to move past a broken earthly relationship to a perfect and heavenly relationship. Right? Verse 16, no longer as a bondservant. Right? To be a, to be a beloved brother. Paul isn't saying that earthly categories and differences don't exist, but that being united in Christ is the better and more important thing, the more permanent and lasting relationship. Right? All, we talked about last week, all things are for Christ. That includes our relationships. Now, it's worth considering and clarifying here that this reconciliation that Paul is calling these men to is built on the truth of the gospel. 
is God acting in the good news of the gospel that reconciles us. Remember last week how we looked at how the gospel compels us, right? And Paul appealed to Onesimus based on the love of Christ and the gospel, right? Verse 9, he talked about doing it for love's sake. So I want to clarify, last week when I talked about the grace of God compelling Onesimus to return to Philemon, right? I'm talking about the grace of God compelling them towards reconciliation, not simply compelling a return to slavery. And I think it's good to make that clarification, right, in light of the issue of slavery here. Right? Paul isn't calling Onesimus or us to return to some bad, abusive relationship. Okay? I don't believe that Paul would have called runaway slaves to return to their masters in 1800s America. Now, here, here Paul is calling two men who hold Christ as preeminent, right, who hold Christ as most important in their lives. Paul is calling these men to return to each other and be reconciled in Christian brotherhood. Right? Full reconciliation really can't happen apart from the gospel. And Paul is calling these two men to the richer and deeper and better thing, Christian brotherhood that honors Christ. Right? Consider Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Right? Consider also how the gospel has changed our own relationship with God, how we have been reconciled with God. Right? While we were still sinners, still enemies with God, Christ died for us. And not only that, but Jesus now calls us children of God and friends. From enemies to friends, right? Here from bondservant to brother. The gospel reconciles us both with God and with each other. So we should ask ourselves, do we believe that God can reconcile broken relationships? Do we want God to reconcile our broken relationships, right? Do we want, do I want reconciliation with my enemies? All right, consider, is it, is being right or being in control, or being comfortable in this life most important to us? Right? Do we just want to win the fight? I, I want to sometimes, right? Where's our priority to glorify God, right? Is Christ, do we see as all things for Christ? Is Christ the priority in our life? Are we seeking to glorify God by strengthening his church through forgiveness and reconciliation? Right? Think here, when Paul writes to Philemon, Philemon had every legal right to restore Onesimus to slavery. Right? And it's even entirely possible that Onesimus had willingly become a slave to pay off a debt or learn some skill. But Paul calls Philemon to the better, richer, deeper, lasting relationship of Christian brotherhood. Right? For this, perhaps, is why that God has allowed us to have our current broken relationships, so that God can sanctify us, drawing us even closer to each other as we draw closer to him. God is building his church, and God is reconciling us to himself and to each other through the gospel. Right? The gospel is bringing us together to love God and one another more. And not that we don't reconcile our earthly differences, right? But we need to reconcile earthly differences in light of the heavenly relationship that makes the true difference. Because, friends, the gospel will help us forgive one another. And that's our next point, okay? The gospel will help us forgive one another. So we're going to look at the next, two, next few verses here, 17 through 20. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Right, it says, it's as if Paul is asking Philemon, Hey Philemon, do you consider me, Paul, your brother, your fellow Christian, your partner? Right? Remember how Paul referred to Philemon back in verse 1 as our beloved fellow worker. Consider their relationship. If Philemon considers Paul his brother in Christ, 
Paul asked Philemon to receive Onesimus in the exact same way. Right? Paul asked Philemon to receive Onesimus as a fellow Christian, as a partner, as a beloved fellow worker. But Paul doesn't ignore the wrongs done either. Right? It's, it's possible that beyond running away, Onesimus may have committed some other wrong, potentially stolen something from Philemon. Right? In verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it to say nothing of your own me, even your own self. Right? As long as we are in this fleshly body, we will still be sinners, and sinners sin against other sinners. Right? God is still at work sanctifying us, but while looking ahead at the goal of who we are called to be, Paul doesn't ignore who we are now. If Onesimus has wronged Philemon in any way, Paul says he will repay it. Just as Paul called it Philemon to receive Onesimus, as if he were receiving Paul, here Paul says to charge the debt to Paul, just as if Philemon were charging Onesimus. Now consider that Paul doesn't have to do this, right? He's stepping into the midst of conflict between two other people. But note that Paul would rather suffer personal loss to see brothers reconciled and the kingdom of God advanced than to hold on to his stuff and watch his brother's relationship suffer. Right? Consider the truth of the gospel, right? The gospel, the motivating factor that will help Philemon and Onesimus and you and I to forgive one another, right? Just as Paul is calling Philemon to receive Onesimus as he would receive Paul, God receives us as he would receive Christ, right? Although we were enemies with God, Christ took the penalty of our rebellion and sin. He endured the wrath of God on our behalf so that God can accept us as if accepting Christ, and just as Paul doesn't ignore any wrongs done, God didn't just ignore our rebellion and sins either, right? Christ had to pay the penalty, right? One way or another, payment had to be made for our wrongdoing. The gospel offers forgiveness. It's free to us by grace, but that forgiveness wasn't free to God. Jesus had to pay our penalty, and it came at tremendous personal loss. Right? Jesus, God himself, for whom all things were created— left his throne in paradise, came to our broken world. He was humiliated and rejected by his own people. He was left to die on a Roman instrument of torture. He was abandoned by his own father, suffered for hours before submitting himself to death. Right? Christ loved us, even though he didn't have to, and even though it cost him tremendously. Right? So in light of the gospel, compelled by the gospel— we too can forgive one another, right? The gospel will help us to forgive one another, right? Consider what we owe Christ for all he's done, right? Consider what Jesus himself tells us in Luke 7, where he writes, uh, Luke writes, um, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? 
Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Right, friends, when we realize how great our debt to Christ is, not only in terms of the magnitude of our sin, but also in magnitude of the payment that Christ made for us, how can we also not love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Right, we have such forgiveness in the gospel, and it helps us, it compels us right, to forgive and love one another. Right, look, look at verse 19, where Paul says, right, say, to say nothing of your own me, even your own self. Right, it's, it's, it's possible that Philemon had been brought to Christ through Paul's ministry, directly or indirectly, right? And I think Paul is pointing Philemon here to the bigger debt that he owes, right? The debt we all owe to Christ when through faith we receive God's grace to us in the gospel. Right, verse 20, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Right, how refreshed Paul would be to see Philemon being sanctified through a reconciled relationship with Onesimus. How refreshed Paul would be to see Philemon forgive Onesimus for any wrong he has committed. It would be a benefit to Paul, right? I want some benefit from you in the Lord. And this, this word benefit here is, again, a play on Onesimus' name. Because Onesimus means useful, profitable, or beneficial. And the benefit Paul wants is not some worldly gain. Right? Paul wants to see reconciliation and sanctification in the lives of these men. Paul wants to see the building up of Christ's body. He wants to see the building up of the church. Paul wants to see the kingdom of God grow. Like the man who finds a treasure in a field and sells all that he has to buy it, so too Paul realizes the surpassing value of the kingdom of God. Right? He writes in Philippians, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Right, so friends, do we like the woman at Jesus' feet, do we recognize the vast debt that we owed and which Christ has paid for us? Right? Do we recognize how much we have been forgiven and therefore love much, both God and others? Right? Only the gospel, only the gospel will help us forgive one another. There is nothing else that can compel us to love other broken and sinful people. And here's the thing, too, not just forgive others, but are we willing to incur personal loss to grow Christ's church? Right? Do we value the building of the church and seeing others sanctified, seeing reconciliation and broken relationships? Do we value these things more than our own comfort and possessions and status? Right? Do our, where do our affections and priorities lie? Right? Only the gospel can compel us to love God and one another. Only the gospel can draw us together. Right? And if the gospel draws us together to love God and one another, then verse 20 is sort of an application specifically for Philemon in this letter, where Paul wants Philemon, refresh my heart in Christ. Right? Just as we saw earlier that Philemon had been refreshing the hearts of the saints back in verse 7, Paul now wants Philemon to refresh Paul's heart in Christ in living out his Christian faith, in letting the gospel draw him back together with Onesimus. Philemon should be compelled by the gospel to love God and others in several ways here. Okay, so in verse 16, by being reconciled with Onesimus, 
right, in the deeper and richer relationship of Christian brotherhood, right? So they must forgive each other in light of the gospel. In verse 17, right, um, in receiving Onesimus as he would receive Paul as a beloved fellow worker in Christ. And verse 13, he can be compelled by the gospel too to allow Onesimus to return to serve Paul during his imprisonment. Philemon should allow the gospel to draw him together with the people of God, not just in reconciling and forgiving Onesimus, but also in the way that Philemon loves and submits to Paul by allowing Onesimus to return and serve Paul, in the way that Philemon sets an example for those around him, right? His family, his, his church. Right, so if last week we focused on how the gospel compels us, this week we really see how it draws us together, right? To be reconciled, to forgive one another, to come together as fellow workers— so let's look at the last point, how we come together as fellow workers, uh, starting in verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Right, know how Paul is confident of Philemon's obedience, even though he hasn't commanded him to do anything. Right? The Apostle Paul never made any demand of Philemon. He simply appealed to him on the basis of the gospel. And he is confident that the gospel is sufficient to compel Philemon to act and do even more than Paul himself could say. Do even more than I say, right? Confident of your obedience. Right? If Paul is confident of his continued fellowship with Philemon, right, in verse 22 he goes on and indicates his hope to visit and stay with him. Right? The, the gospel brings us together. And we'll continue to hold Paul and Philemon and Onesimus now together as fellow workers. Just as Paul is praying for Philemon back in verse 4 and giving thanks to God for Philemon's faithful service to the church, so too now we see that Philemon is praying for Paul's release from prison and Paul's continued faithful service to the church, right? The gospel is keeping them together as fellow workers. Verse 23, right? Paul lists some more fellow workers here. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Right, just as Philemon is listed as a fellow worker at the beginning of the letter, right, here's, here are some more. All right, Epaphras, if you remember from last week, Epaphras uh, had founded the church in Colossae and, and probably given Paul an update on the church while they were sitting here in prison together. We also have Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to come back to Mark in a minute. Aristarchus isn't mentioned next, okay? So if you're interested, uh, Aristarchus is first mentioned in Acts 19.29. He's a traveling companion of Paul. He's from Thessalonica, and he accompanies Paul in Acts on his journey to Rome. And in Colossians, he's listed as uh, Paul's fellow prisoner. Now, Demas is listed here in Colossians 4 as being a faithful fellow worker of Paul. Okay, but friends, we must not forget the need for accountability in our Christian work, in our Christian walk that we talked about last week. Because even fellow workers can be distracted and pulled away at times by the world. Okay, in Second Timothy, Paul notes that Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Right? We can't forget that we're in this together. That the Christian life is not just a personal relationship between you and Jesus. Christ put us in his church together, in his church, with commands to love one another, to meet together to encourage each other, to stir up one another to love and good works, right? We all need the encouragement and accountability of the people of God, the church. All right, Luke is mentioned next. 
Many of you are probably familiar with Luke, right? He's believed to have traveled with Paul on several of his missionary journeys. He's mentioned in several of Paul's letters. He's also believed to be the author of the Gospel of Luke and its sequel, the, the book of Acts. All right, so if you think about it, there's quite a gathering of scripture writers here, right? We've got Paul, we've got Luke, uh, we've got Mark, right? And so I want to circle back to Mark. So assuming that this is the same Mark that's mentioned a few other places in the New Testament, right, there's, there's an interesting story worth pausing here for because the gospel does indeed bring us together as fellow workers, not just Philemon and Onesimus, but all of us who are in conflict and strained relationships. The gospel brings us all together in fellowship to better love God and each other, and it applies just as much to Paul as it does to us. So if you want, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to, to Acts 15 and 16, all right, the very end of Acts chapter 15. It's on, it's on page 870 in the Pew Bible. All right, sorry, I didn't get it up here on the screen. I'll kind of go over it, but if you want to follow along. All right, so you might recall that Mark is mentioned in Acts, okay? He's a source of a ministry rift between Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas had brought Mark with them from Jerusalem back in Acts 12. A few verses later, Paul and Barnabas set off with Mark on what's generally called Mark's, on what's generally called Paul's first missionary journey, and they, they bring Mark along with them, okay? But a few verses later, Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem and so a few chapters later here in verse 15, in chapter 15, when Paul is ready to return and visit the churches where they preach the gospel on their first missionary journey, right, Barnabas wants to bring Mark along. But Paul disagrees, and Luke records for us here in Acts 15, verse 39, that there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from each other. Okay? And Paul, Paul and Barnabas split and head out on separate mission trips. Okay, now they're still at work for the same goal of spreading the gospel, but there's some strain here in the relationship between Barnabas and Paul because of Mark. But look what happens. I found this really interesting. Look what happens a few verses later in Acts, in 16. Okay, Paul comes to Lystra, and there in verse 1, he meets a respected young disciple named Timothy. And Timothy becomes a pretty close companion and fellow worker with Paul. In fact, if you remember last week, he's listed here in verse 1 as one of the co-authors of this letter to Philemon. And Mark is here with them too as Paul and Timothy write this letter. Right? Mark, the one who caused the rift between Paul and Barnabas, is listed here as a fellow worker. I, I find that amazing that God used that human conflict, right? That strained relationship to go to hold of the people that he wanted to use to advance his kingdom. Right? It wasn't anything that Paul or Mark or Timothy did. They were just instruments in a redeemer's hands. Right? God was using his gospel to bring together these fellow workers. Right? Consider perhaps that Mark was growing through this experience, maybe through Barnabas' discipleship. And while Paul and Silas set out, and they, you know, Paul had Silas with him, he realized the usefulness of Timothy accompanying them as well. And so the gospel was spread even more. And the gospel brought these men back together. And through the work of the gospel in their lives, they were even more useful than they were before. Right? In fact, at the end of, in 2 Timothy, near the end of his life, Paul writes to Timothy. Right, right after he mentions how Demas and others had deserted him, he writes to Timothy, he says, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Just like Onesimus was made useful by the gospel, just like the gospel transforms us and makes us more useful in pointing to the goodness of God who brings us together for his glory, Right? 
It is God's grace in the gospel and only the gospel that can bring broken people together to glorify God and love others. Right? Do we believe that, friends? Do we believe that God can bring us together with those with whom we disagree, even our enemies, that God can bring us together within his church? Do we believe that these earthly disputes can be overcome by a gospel that reconciles us and enables us to forgive one another so that we can enjoy the better, richer, deeper, lasting relationship of Christian fellowship? Right? Do we believe that the Christian life isn't something to be done alone for our own personal benefit, but that we work together, holding each other accountable, forgiving each other, working for the glory of Christ and the building of his church? Right? It's only by God's grace that these things are possible. It's not by our will or our power. Right? And so that's where Paul leaves Philemon, too, and us. He commends the grace of God to Philemon. Right? The last verse here, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Right? It's only the grace of Christ shown to us in the gospel that can compel us. Right? It's only the gospel, the free gift of God, that Christ died for us and was risen to give us new life. This grace is the only thing that can compel us and change us. It was only the grace of God that brought Paul to Christ. Right? It is only the grace of Christ in Onesimus' life that can compel him to return to Philemon. And Paul knew here that it was only the grace of Christ in Philemon that could compel him to love and forgive and be reconciled with Onesimus. All right, so consider this. I got, I got an engineering example for you this morning. All right, so try to bear with me. All right. I'm a geotechnical engineer. There's no calculations in this example, I promise you. All right. I'm a geotech engineer. I design building foundations, all right? So let's say one day at work, we get, we get told, hey, we're going to design a new building this week. All right, so great. We all get set, we all set to work, okay? I'll tell you what, I designed this great foundation. It's like all this great concrete and compacted soil. It's beautiful, all right? It's going to support an aircraft hangar. The architect, meanwhile, has this great layout for a dormitory. It's got a beautiful entryway, these perfect room layouts. Mechanical engineer, he's got enough cooling power for a giant walk-in freezer in that dining facility, and the electrical engineer, well, she has a simple detail for a single light bulb for a storage shed. Right now, we all have these great designs, and they're all for a new building, which is what we were told we were working on, right? But they weren't aiming for the same objective. Imagine our churches and our Christian life working like that, right? It's utterly meaningless if the gospel isn't at the center of it. If we're not compelled and brought together by the same thing, by the gospel, Right? And in our example, we didn't even realize that we were working together, right? We have to realize that we're in this together. And we have to realize that this is all for one single purpose, right? That all things are for Christ. And be compelled by that gospel, the love of Christ, in order to come together as fellow workers and forgive each other and be reconciled in the church, the body of Christ. Friends, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? You, Jesse, you can go to that triangle slide, right? It's kind of like this, this triangle here, all right? This is, my, this is my one illustration for the sermon, all right? So if you take anything, take the triangle from it, all right? This is, this is the triangle. We've got Christ at the top, okay? And, and we've got Philemon and Nisimus down here on, on more like the sides of the triangle, okay? Um, could be you or me, right? We're divided in some kind of conflict on opposite sides. And consider that the further we are from Christ, the further we are from each other, right? Philemon and Nisimus 
or my enemy and I can only come together as we get closer to Christ. Right? If we sit here at the bottom and let the world or our circumstances distract us, pulling us away from Christ, we're not going to get any closer to Christ or each other. Right? If we let our conflicts or distractions of the world, right, TV shows, sporting events, our kids' activities, doctor appointments, right, even a good book, if we let steal our focus, something other than Christ steal our focus, not only does our sanctification and our relationship with God suffer, but we're drifting farther apart from each other, too. Right? We're at the bottom of the triangle, apart from God and each other. Right? And they're not sh- it's not shown on here, too, right? But we need the church here, too. We need others, right? Not just Philemon and Nisimus, but also Timothy, our brother, and Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in their home, right? They need, those people, the church, need to point at Philemon and Onesimus to Christ, Right? Just like we need the church to point us to Christ, helping us to see that all things are for Christ, that he is preeminent, the top of the triangle. Right? We need others to point us to the truth of the gospel. If we aren't seeing yet that we're in this together, well, friends, soak in the gospel long enough, and you'll see that the gospel is going to bring us together as fellow workers. Because as we draw closer to Christ, we see his love perfectly given to us in the gospel. And we see we have been forgiven much and are compelled to love much, forgiving each other and being reconciled with each other. As Philemon and Onesimus are drawn closer to Christ and his gospel, they are drawn closer to each other. Right? Picture yourself here, right? You and your spouse or you and your neighbor. Maybe it's you and your sibling, you and your, and your coworker. Right? It's the work of Christ in our lives the work of the good news, the gospel, that's going to draw us together, right? We can't come together on our own trying to reconcile apart from the gospel of grace, right? Like I said earlier, full reconciliation really can't happen apart from the gospel, which quite frankly has compelled me lately to be praying for our enemies, my enemies, right? Like we're called to do, because if I want reconciliation, my enemies need to hear the gospel, and they need to see the love of of the gospel and my attitude toward them, I need to pray that the gospel would ultimately bring me together with my enemies to be fellow workers for Christ. It is only as we keep our eyes fixed on Christ and are compelled by the gospel of grace that we will love God more each day and love each other in the church in deeper and richer relationships. It is only as we keep our eyes fixed on Christ right, for his glory that we will be drawn together, both for our good and for God's glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for this short letter that we've had the time to soak in, Lord. We give you thanks for your word, for your gospel, Lord, for your love for us, how you are drawing a people together for yourself. Lord, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts. In your church, Lord, would you help us to be an encouragement to each other? Would you help us to forgive and be reconciled with each other, Lord? To be united as a church, that we might hold you as foremost in our lives, Lord, and do all things for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.